If you have your Bibles, uh, you might want to open to 1 Peter. We're going to have Lori McKinley come up and read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thanks, Lori. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? We all right? Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City. If we've not yet had a chance to meet, glad you're here. Grateful to have this opportunity to gather together as we do week in and week out to open the scriptures and to see what God has to say for us. Uh, We believe as a church that God's word is always relevant, and God's word is always timely, and of all of the voices and opinions and uh, just noise expressed in our world, uh, the voice that we want to hear above and beyond any other voice is God's voice. Amen? So that's why we do what we do. We love to gather together, open the scriptures, and see what God has to say for us. Uh, As Pastor Travis mentioned a minute ago, we are in our Advent series, and we're looking uh, at the traditional Advent topics. This is something that churches have been doing uh, for centuries, looking at the themes of hope and peace and joy and love. And we'll conclude on Christmas Eve with a look at the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of Jesus. But we're doing something a little bit different where we're, where we're not just looking at the lens of Christ's first coming. Uh, this series is called A Tale of Two Advents because we are living in the time in between the two arrivals of Christ, the two advents of Christ. Christ came the first time. We celebrate that as Christmas when he was born of the Virgin Mary, born as an infant, born in humble circumstances. Uh, He lived, died, rose again, and then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I was just actually last night reading that story from the kids' Bible with my younger children about the ascension of Jesus. And he is ruling and he's reigning from heaven, but one day we believe that Jesus will return that he's going to come back, we're going to see him with our eyes, and we're going to get to experience more joy than we ever thought was possible. Amen? So that's what we're looking at today, is this theme of joy. What I'd like to do is pray, and then spend some time unpacking these verses in 1 Peter 1 together. Would you pray with me? And I would even invite you, would you pray for me? Father God, we thank you for this time. We're so grateful to be able to gather together like this, and to worship you, to make a joyful noise to you, to sing songs that say rejoice for Emmanuel has come. And God, even this morning, um, many of us may or may not even be aware, but the the, the reality of, of a bombing in Cairo where Christian brothers and sisters of ours lost their lives today because people wanted to do them harm. God, I pray that we would never, ever, ever take for granted the, the joy that it is to do what we're doing right now, to gather together as your people, to open the scriptures, to open our mouths in song, to receive from the Lord's table. God, may we never take that for granted. And we pray uh, for those in Egypt and others around the world who uh, do not have the same liberties and freedoms that we do. We pray, God, that you would uh, bring peace and you would bring justice uh, in those situations. God, for all of us today, would you give us teachable hearts, soft hearts that want to receive your truth from your word? And God, for myself, help me to teach Uh, not only to teach about joy, but to teach with joy, your joy. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, amen. You know, speaking of joy, we're looking at these different topics. Last week, uh, when Pastor Shane was preaching, he said something uh, towards the beginning of the sermon that, that I thought was, was very true and very insightful. I mean, he said, so you said several things that were insightful, but it was one that I remembered uh, this week. But the, uh, the thing he said that I thought was really insightful was, in our culture, we don't talk a lot about peace. It's not a forefront topic in our culture. And I think that's very true. We're a society that was born out of conflict. 
And we were born out of revolution. You know, give me liberty or give me death. That doesn't sound like the guy who you want to bring in to be the peacemaker when kids are fighting with each other, right? Uh, you know, we're all going to leave, most of us this afternoon, are going to go watch football, and every single football game begins with a song about bombs bursting in air. Uh, we're, we're a combative, argumentative culture. No, we're not. Yes, we are, right? So, and, and if you need any further evidence, I'd just give to you Facebook 2016 during the election season. We're not big on peace, and so it's hard for us to really kind of start to traffic in those, uh, those themes. However, when it comes to joy, I would say we, we do traffic in those themes a lot. We do talk about joy quite a bit. Again, one of the founding values, one of the founding documents of the United States of America says that it's an inalienable right given to us by our creator that we should have the ability to pursue happiness, This is an inalienable right, the pursuit of happiness. Or if you uh, decide not to watch football and maybe you're going to watch something on Netflix, you go down, there's going to be a whole section called comedy. And actually, if you want to drill down a little bit deeper, there's a whole section called stand-up comedy where a person stands up by themselves in front of a room full of people and just tries to manipulate your emotions for 45 minutes and make you laugh. And think about this. We, we love joy. We want joy. In our culture, we hear messages of, if it feels good, do it. We hear messages of, it doesn't really matter what you do or don't do as long as it makes them happy. You ever heard that one? Uh, we hear, you know, songs, don't worry, be happy, right? Uh, this, is, this is something that is pervasive in our culture, The problem is, is our culture's definition of joy, our culture's definition of happiness, it's a thin one. It's one-dimensional. And there's, I mean, even those messages I just said to you a minute ago, right? What's the problem with the message of do whatever makes you feel good, do whatever makes you happy? What's the problem with that? Well, there's a lot of things that you can do that make you happy in the short term, but in the long run will ruin your life. Amen? Uh, A few years ago, I, I took my children to the zoo uh, and they were having a great day. It was a wonderful family day, and I was just in you know, full-on dad mode, just prime dad mode, and the kids were like, Dad, can we have cotton candy? And I'm like, yes, and they're like, can we each have our own bag? And I'm like, yes, and my wife's like, no, and I'm like, yes, and we gave each one of the kids their own bag of electric blue cotton candy. That night, at exactly 12.51 a.m., my older daughter, who sleeps on the top bunk of the bunk bed, had a cascading waterfall of blue electric vomit that was going down onto her sister's bed below her. And I realized, oh, that was a bad dad move right there. Don't just do whatever makes you happy because sometimes there's consequences you don't see, right? Or, or the message of don't worry, be happy. Just kind of the platitude version. What's, what's wrong with that? How are you going to tell someone who's going through legitimate suffering, legitimate hardship, hey, don't worry, be happy. Pain is just an illusion. Sorrow is just only in your mind. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. That's not biblical. It doesn't even line up with reality. The real problem is when the church adopts those cultural stances, right? When the church takes on some sort of a, oh, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're happy, as long as it feels good. That's, that's destructive, when those who have been entrusted with God's truth to be able to speak a word of, 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 yes, loving, but correction or loving guardedness. And the church adopts a don't worry, just be happy sort of a thing. The, the church uh, can become superficial, can become really glib. You know, just kind of this happy, clappy, yay, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart sort of a thing that doesn't actually re- deal with the reality of many of our lives. There's some deep places of sorrow and suffering. I want you to think about this as we're talking about joy today. I want you to remember that joy is related to happiness, but they're not exactly the same. Joy and happiness, um, you know, I don't remember exactly where I picked it up, but, but the idea about happiness is happiness is tied to what happens. Happiness is circumstantial. So if you've got a bunch of money in your checking account, you're happy. And if you check your bank account and it's you know, all different shades of red, you're not happy. Joy, joy is related to happiness. It, joy, when you look in the Bible, when it talks about joy, it talks about smiling. It talks about the, the gladness of the heart. It talks about merriness. It talks about laughter. So joy is definitely related to happiness, but it's deeper than happiness. It's less shaken by the ins and outs of daily circumstances. 
So I want you to remember that. I want you to, to keep that in your mind. The other thing I want you to keep in your mind as we're talking about joy is, dear Christian, you need to understand something. God wants you to have joy. God deeply wants you to have joy. We see that joy is one of the characteristics of God himself. Did you know that? Too many people have a picture of God that is a joyless God, but that is incongruent with what the the Bible tells us from cover to cover. One of my favorite verses on that is in Nehemiah chapter 8, where it talks about the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, and in the, in the Hebrew, the way it's phrased, it's the Lord's joy. It's the joy that he himself possesses. Or if you look in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul is writing about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the fruit that starts to grow in your life as a result of being connected to God through the Holy Spirit, it's love, joy. Joy is number two on the list. Meaning when you are connected to God, you will grow in joy. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I've, I've spoken all these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, what's the word, Sound City? Full. Jesus says, I really want you to have a ton, an absolute ton of joy. So one of my favorite authors um, put it, joy is the serious business of heaven. That's C.S. Lewis. Joy is the serious business of heaven. So if you are here today and you think that God is joyless or you think that God doesn't care about your joy, I love you. You are mistaken. And I'm asking you to open your heart, open your mind and your perspective to this deep abiding joy that God wants to give you in Christ. And that's really the big idea for today. Joy is not merely the absence of sorrow, but a deep abiding pleasure in Christ, even in the middle of many trials even in the middle of many trials. That's what we're going to see today. So we're going to dive back into this passage in 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written to a group of different churches. I love preaching from the letters uh, from Peter because his audience was not highly targeted. It's very scattered, and so it's very easy for us to identify with those uh, in this letter. They're experiencing hardship. They're experiencing trials. They're experiencing pushback. They're experiencing uh, 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 all sorts of uh, consequences as a result of being a follower of Jesus. And so he's writing this letter to encourage them to keep going, to persevere, and he's going to use the words joy and rejoice. Here in his opening, even while he dives right into the heart of the letter, which is many trials that they're facing. So keep that perspective uh, in mind as we start to go. Back in verse 3, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Pause right there. As we go through this passage, I want you to identify a few things about what a joyful heart looks like. And the first thing I want you to see what the joyful heart looks like, the first thing right out of the gate, a joyful heart is a worshipful heart. Do you notice how Peter starts? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He can't even get out of the first, I mean, he has the, the first two verses, which we didn't read. It's just, hi, this is Peter. Here's who I'm writing this to. And then the first like real down to business sentence that he writes is, praise God. Blessed be God. Friends, it's hard to remain too miserable when you're praising God. It's easy to remain miserable when you are focused on yourself, your wants, your needs, the things you're missing out on, the things you wish you had, the presents you wish you got for Christmas, but you didn't, the bonus you wish you got, but they sent you the jelly of the month club or something instead, right? You just watched that movie recently. That's a Christmas vacation reference for you, right? Whatever, whatever you're, you're focused on has a determinative factor in your experience of joy, so when, when Peter opens up the letter, talking about trials, I mean, these people are going through legitimate hardships, legitimate suffering, but Peter very intentionally starts with, hey, let's just praise God. Can I just say this? There's a reason why we start our services with songs. It's not just to give those of you who are running late time to get your kids checked in and to find your chair without being too noisy. No, we do it on purpose so that we can have our hearts and our attitudes pointed in the right direction so that when myself or one of the other pastors gets up to preach, we're already prepared. 
Let me just say, this is not in any way, shape, or form to be legalistic. Grace is always a rule, but you should really try to be on time for church. You should try to be early so you could actually shake someone's hand, get a cup of coffee, use the restroom, come in here, and then those first couple songs, we talk with our band leaders all the time, hey, let's do some songs that are just praising God. It's called a call to worship. We do that on purpose so that when we go to uh, dive into the scriptures, our hearts and our attitudes are pointed in the right place. Can you hear my heart on that? It's not to be legalistic, but it is an encouragement that if you're coming 10, 15 minutes late, you're missing out on some very important preparatory stuff for your own heart and for your own ability to worship God. The joyful heart is a worshipful heart. And talk about redirection, right? When you think about all the things that you could be miserable about, you think about all the things that are wrong and broken in the world, to come in and say, God, you are unchanging. You are good. You are loving. You are sovereign. Things look broken, but you have made a promise that you are going to redeem and restore all things. When you start to worship God, how many of you have ever had that experience where, yeah, it starts to pull you out of your funk? I think of the the story in the New Testament where Paul and Silas are imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And it it says that midnight, they're just singing. They're literally tied up in chains. They're literally bound up in prison. And how annoyed must that jailer, that guard have been? Like, would you guys shut up? Like, nope, we're just going to keep singing. And then the earthquake hits. They escape. The jailer thinks they, they escaped anyways, and he's going to kill himself. They come out and say, hey, don't, don't kill yourself. How about you become a Christian? And said, he's like, that sounds good. And he gets saved. It's a great story. But it all starts with them just saying, look, we're not going to focus on woe is me. We're stuck in this jail cell where we can't do anything. We can't, we can't be out there having an impact on anyone's life. They're just worshiping God and that Philippian jailer and his whole family becomes Christians. The second thing we can see in these opening verses is that the joyful heart is a gospel-grounded heart. Verse 3, he says, according to his great mercy. So God's, God has how much mercy, Sound City? A little bit of mercy? Great mercy, lavish mercy, extravagant mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That means a hope that just keeps going on and on. It's, a, it's an ongoing hope. It's a hope that continually gets renewed in your heart. How? How do we have this born again into a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have not made it out of the first verse before we've already addressed the heart of the gospel. The gospel is... That though we are great sinners, God sent his son, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, to take our sin upon himself, to to live a perfect life free from sin, but then to take our sins upon himself and die on a Roman cross, a, a brutal, bloody execution, to pay the penalty, to pay the price, the, the judgment that our sins deserve. And then he was dead for three days in, in, the, in, the, in the tomb. He rose again, and he's alive forevermore, proving that all of his claims are true, proving that he can indeed forgive sin, proving that death does not get the final word. That's the heart of the gospel, friends. We look back on the first advent of Jesus, his first coming. If he rose from the dead, well, that means he died. If he died, that means he lived. If he lived, that means he was born. We look back in history on the story of the first advent of Jesus. What gives you joy? What story gives you joy? Holiday season, people like to get together and start to share stories and start to tell others, you know, oh, our family, we did this, our family did this. We had um, some friends over the other night and we ended up staying up late into the evening. We ended up just talking and sharing stories and, 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 and you get to know people through those sorts of stories. And there's a lot of joy that can come out of stories because a lot of our families are pretty ridiculous, amen? So, so you get to tell those stories. But, but let me just ask you this. What story gives your heart the most joy? Is it the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Is it the gospel. If, you, if, you're, if your heart is grounded in the story of your favorite sports team, guess what? You're going to have happiness some weeks and you're going to have misery other weeks, right? Because sports teams are terrible. <laughs> they, they, they win, they lose. If, you're, if your heart gets its joy from the story of United States of America, well, every two to four years or eight years, you're going to be miserable, aren't you? Because the story goes up and down. If, if your heart is grounded, even in the story of your own family, oh, I've got this great family, this great upbringing, 
yeah, but, but what happens when people start making bad decisions? Or what happens when the family isn't as tight or as close as it used to be, right? Up and down, up and down. But if your heart is grounded in the story of the gospel, the real story, the true story about what God has done in human history to redeem us from our sins, then friends, you can have joy. You can have joy. So we haven't even gotten out of the first verse of this passage here yet, so I probably need to move on. But looking back, we look back at praising God just for who he is. We look back at what God has done in the gospel. Then in verse four, he he says, uh, I'll paraphrase a little bit because it's kind of a long run on sentence, but he says, he's caused us to be born again to, so now we're looking forward, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, you are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, so last time. So now guess what, friends? We're starting to look forward to the second advent, Christ's return. So what's Peter saying in these verses? He's caused us to be born again to an inheritance. Now we use this language of an inheritance. Okay, uh, don't shout out any amounts, but raise your hand if you've ever received an inheritance of any sort, okay? handful of you. It's not as common in our culture as it once was. Uh, In the ancient world, though, the inheritance was everything. That's what you did. You saved up your money. You saved up your possessions. You had a piece of land. And when you died, it went to your offspring. It's a big deal. This is how you would have a livelihood. This is how you would have a vocation. And in most parts of the ancient world, if your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. And when your dad died, you and your siblings, your brothers in particular, would get the boats and the nets and the fishing supplies. That's just how it worked. The gospel, this this picture in the gospel is one of adoption, where we're adopted into the family of God. And what's beautiful is that it says that we get the same inheritance as Jesus Christ the firstborn gets. That Jesus Christ is the perfect son. Any of you have that that perfect older brother, okay? Uh, Some of you are the perfect older brother. You're not so perfect, okay? Okay. But when we look at Jesus, he is the perfect older brother. But the good news is he's not the perfect older brother in the sense of rubbing our noses in it. No, he's the perfect older brother who has done everything right, who has pleased the father, and then has offered to share an equal share of his inheritance with all of us who believe. Isn't that an amazing thought? So this joyful heart, the third thing we can see about a joyful heart, the joyful heart is a future-focused heart. A future-focused heart that looks forward to an inheritance that Peter says is imperishable. It won't wear out. Undefiled and unfading. Those are highly descriptive words, but it really can be boiled down to the simple thought of everything you have is going to break. Everything you have will wear out. Everything you have will be destroyed if it's not through your own actions, just time. My, uh, my wife recently got, uh, her, her grandparents were moving, and in the grandparents' storage unit, they had a bunch of keepsakes from when my wife was a child. And so they were moving, and they were clearing out space, like, hey, do you want some of these keepsakes? And it was some dolls, and it was some books, and it was amazing to look through some of these things just to get kind of a, a picture, a little a glimpse into my wife's childhood. That's always kind of fascinating to get to see that. But then I was looking through some of these things, like, man, these, these clothes could really use a washing, <laughs> Uh, but we're not going to because then they will break and wear out and they'll be gone sooner than later. There's all these books, these old books. They're in relatively good condition for being, you know, however old these books are, 30, 40 years old. And, and we're like, well, maybe somebody will be able to give them to our girls. But you know what? That's only going to last so long. Should the Lord tarry, should he not return, and there's five or six generations of great children down the line, guess what? Those books are going to be in a landfill somewhere. They're not going to last As precious as those keepsakes are, they're just not going to last. So friends, when you consider the things that you have in your life, what things give you joy? What possessions give you joy? What stuff do you own that you're like, man, I really enjoy that. I I really derive a lot of pleasure from that. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's all going to burn, okay? <laughs> Happy Sunday. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church. No, I, but I mean that in seriousness. That you consider the transient nature of the things that you have. Or, dear Christian, do you remember that your true inheritance, your imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance is right now being kept in heaven for you? 
And you are being kept by God's power. You're being stored. So the inheritance is being kept and guarded in heaven. You are being kept and guarded by the Holy Spirit. And one day when Christ returns at his second advent, you'll receive that inheritance. Now, I don't know. The Bible authors don't speak explicitly what that is. Is it actually like gold bullion? Is it? I don't know what it is, but I do know this. We can't even comprehend how good that inheritance actually is. And because if nothing else, it means that we get to spend eternity in the presence of our God, face to face, heart to heart, not through a glass darkly, but right there and present. Is that good news to anyone? The joyful heart is a future-focused heart. Now, now Peter moves into the heart of, of the matter here in verses six and seven. I'll, I'll, I'll belabor this point just a little bit more because there's a paradox here, the, the present paradox that we need to look at. So we looked back on the first coming of Jesus, his first advent. We look forward to his second coming, his second advent. And now we're gonna talk about the present. Peter says, in this, in all of this gospel sort of stuff that he's talking about, in this, you now rejoice right now. Though now for a little while, If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let me me just, uh, let me tell you this, the point on this. The joyful heart is not a flippant heart, okay? The joyful heart is not flippant or glib or shallow, or or maybe I could put it another way. The joyful heart still feels grief. So that's one of the great myths in our culture. It's absolutely one of the great myths in the American church is if you're joyful, you shouldn't be sad. That doesn't line up with what Peter's saying here. He says, in this, you now rejoice, even though right now, for a while, you're being grieved by various trials. The Bible is an incredibly honest book. The Bible is an incredibly honest book. The Bible is not like those cheesy self-help books that tell you seven steps to how to have a positive attitude every single day. No, there are some times where the people in the Bible are kind of freaking out a little bit. In fact, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, though he did not do anything sinful on the night of his betrayal and his arrest, he wept bitterly in the garden, praying and asking his heavenly father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. This is the same Jesus who just a couple chapters earlier, that actually early, earlier that night when he's meeting with his disciples, he said those words. I say these things so you may have my joy and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, I want to give you my joy. And then he walks out of that meal, goes into the garden and weeps bitterly so much so that he sweats drops of blood. Friends, you can be an incredibly joyful person and still feel deep sorrow and experience deep grief. There's, um, there's a song. How many of you are familiar with the, 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 you know, kids song, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart, right? You've heard that one. Any of you who ever grew up in the church, went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school, you've heard that, right? I've got the joy, joy down in my heart, down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Right? You know it. Don't make me, don't make me sing it and make you do the hand motions, okay? <laughs> and I'm so happy, so happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. A few years ago, about six, seven years ago, um, there's a band out of Colorado that released uh, an album of hymns, and they were redoing hymns. And the last track on the CD was a version of, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And um, I think, Jonathan, can you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play like 20 seconds of it because I want you to hear this. And, and it, it actually caused a little bit of uproar. So just listen, you can close your eyes if you want. Just listen to this, this woman, Tifa, singing, I've got the joy, joy down in my heart. Go ahead and roll it. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart I've got the joy, 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 joy 
what Tifa Phillips, uh, who put that composition together, she said this on her blog, when I first wrote, or I should say rewrote, Joy, I had no idea the wave it would make. I have received countless emails, questions, and comments on this one song, several with the similar theme of, she sure does not sound joyful to me. (laughs) I've even had people tell me that they did not finish the song, but skipped it because it sounded too depressing and confused them in contrast to the rest of the hymns I record. The first time I played Joy was on the night that my father passed away. He had a short and painful battle with cancer. My dad was not perfect, but he did the best he could with what he had. A year before he died, he was diagnosed with dementia. The day he told me he had cancer, he said it was a blessing. To him, cancer was a better way to end his story than a mind with no memory of his family or his life. So, as I sat at the piano, the only place that felt safe that night to me, the weight of loss hit my chest. I remembered my eyes were blurred with tears and I literally began to play the now familiar progression of joy. I kept cycling through the chord progression and then as if It had already been written. I began to sing a different melody to a song. I sang in vacation Bible school as a child. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. The truth is that I was terribly and profoundly sad. The reality of grief hadn't even entirely hit me yet, but at that same moment, I had a deep sense of peace. My father was no longer in pain. He was no longer sick. He was free from all his ailments and restored. Although I still miss him, I know that God has weaved redemption through death into my father's story. That brings me great joy. It was not until grief became a part of my story that I realized that joy is not simply an expression, but an attitude and acknowledgement of the deep peace of knowing a savior. I believe it is important as a community that wants to comfort the weary that we allow space for those who are grieving, suffering, and experiencing loss to say, hey, I'm hurting. I am in pain. It is okay to give them space to figure out what joy means in that time. And I now know that you can experience grief and joy simultaneously. And if not, that joy can and will come if you allow it to. Sounds like she's been reading the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians where he describes Christ's followers as those who are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. If you never weep, if you never allow yourself to feel grief, then then I, I would say you don't actually know true joy. True joy is felt in that contrast. And if you, on the other side too, if you if you never laugh, well, you're missing out on a huge blessing, a huge benefit of what it means to be one of the followers of Jesus. If all you do is focus in on the, the negative, what's wrong, what's hurting, what's broken, and you never give yourself to lightheartedness or an upward countenance, well, then you're missing out on, on it. We, we, we probably, I'm not going to take a poll or a survey, but we probably know ourselves well enough, or if you don't know yourself well enough, your spouse might know you well enough, or close friends, to know which one of those ditches you might tend toward. The always laughing, always, you know, good time, always got a joke. Or the nothing is ever right, everything's terrible, woe is me, you know. You've got Eeyore and the guy from the Lego movie. Those can be your mascots. (laughs) Everything is awesome, nothing is awesome. And the reality is we exist in a paradox, don't we? The joyful heart is not a flippant heart. Oh, we can laugh. We can laugh in the middle of the darkest moments because we know that our Savior is risen from the dead. But that doesn't mean we don't still ache. And we don't give ourselves some time to feel that pain. The other thing that we can see in this passage here is that the joyful heart, this is number five, the joyful heart knows that because of Jesus, our suffering actually has purpose. 
Do you notice what Peter said here? He said, he said that you know, you're, you're being grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold though it, that perishes, though it is tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, he uses the analogy of metal being purified by fire. Metal being purified by fire. I'm not a jeweler. I'm not an alchemist or anything like that. But, but we all know that if you want to get pure jewelry, you want to get pure gold, pure silver, you have to refine it in a fire to, to burn out the impurities. And Peter says, that's, that's what's happening with you. That right now, the suffering you're going through, the trials you're going through, the hardness you're going through, you can have joy right now because you know that in Christ Jesus, it is not purposeless. In Christ Jesus, every hardship, every trial, every painful moment is being used by him to shape you into the person that he has for you to be. Not only that, every hardship and suffering that you go through is being used right now by God to draw you into closer relationship with him. I have been a pastor long enough and I've experienced enough pain in my own life long enough to know that there are times of suffering that when you have gone through them, you would never want to go through them again, but you can actually look upon them with some sense of thanksgiving, having gone through them because God used it to shape you and to bring it closer, bring you closer to him. How many of you have experienced that? I've heard it dozens of times. I would never wish that on my worst enemy. And I would never have chosen to go through it. But now that I have gone through it, I'm thankful because I see God's purposes in that. His sovereign purposes. That God is in charge. That he doesn't let things just happen randomly or for for no purpose to his children. And even though we might not understand at the time, the word of God says that he would break us so that he might heal us. And what's more, it's not just our relationship with God. How many of you know it's our relationship with others can benefit as well? God might allow us to to go through times of suffering so that we might be a comfort to someone else. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that we comfort with the comfort that we ourselves have received. Spurgeon, my favorite preacher, English preacher from the 19th century, he, he says this, Do not believe that any man will become a physician unless he walks the hospitals. And I am sure that no one will become a divine or a a spiritual person or become a comforter unless he lies in the hospital as well as he walks through it and has to suffer himself. He, God, may make his sons of thunder anywhere, but his sons of consolation he must make in the fire and there alone. Who shall speak to those whose hearts are broken? Who shall bind up their wounds? But those whose hearts have been broken also and whose wounds have long run with the sores of grief. Some of you, right now when I'm talking about your suffering, your hardships, what you're feeling is not joy, but you're feeling resentment. Some sense of God, how could you let me go through this? And I want to encourage you to take that heart. God knows it's there. Tell him about that heart and ask him to change your heart that you might know that your suffering has purpose. Now, Peter doesn't say, I don't say that you're going to know exactly what those purposes are. We're not guaranteed to know every single sovereign purpose of God. The secret things belong to the Lord. But we can know his heart and we can know that his promise is that for the Christian, our suffering is never in vain. So even if we don't know why, we can know him and we can trust him. Amen? Now Peter brings it back to Jesus once again, verse eight. Though you have, I love these verses. Oh man. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Simply put, number six, the joyful heart loves Jesus. The joyful heart loves Jesus. 
That's the last marker of what it means to have a joyful heart. What, what, what Peter is saying here is this. Remember, he's writing to a group of people that are dispersed really throughout the known world. He is not writing to people who were in Jerusalem. They did not hear the teachings of Jesus. They did not see Jesus crucified. They did not see Jesus risen from the dead. They, like us, are hearing a report of it through the written word and through the proclamation of the story of what happened. So they heard it and they believed. And Peter says, you know, it's really admirable. You didn't see Jesus. You didn't, you didn't experience him. You didn't hear his voice. You didn't touch him. You didn't get to be like the disciple Thomas and, and place your hands in his nail-scarred hands and in his side, but you believe in him. Friends, Sound City, for those of you who believe in Jesus, then I say the same word to you that Peter says is, this is a beautiful thing. You have not seen Jesus, but you love him. I deeply love a Jewish carpenter turned rabbi who I've never seen with my eyes. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. It's not just the first advent, but you're looking forward to the second advent, his second coming. And you, you, you believe that he's coming. You believe that his promises are true. And what does that mean? You get to rejoice with joy. You know, this last point here should seem kind of obvious, right? We're a Christian church after all. Where are you going to find your joy? Spoiler alert, Jesus, right? I could have saved us all a lot of time. But here's the problem. This is not the problem, but what we do with it is the problem. Jesus allows us, in his grace, to have all sorts of opportunities to experience things that fill us with joy, okay? So, just to name a few, okay? I'll start at what is currently most important in my mind. Steak, okay? Steak. Maybe I'm a little bit hungry, but thank God for steak, right? Uh, yeah, thank you. I got one amen from the, the vegan section, I think is over here, but was the meat lovers, right? Uh, football, hiking, friendship, uh, good wine, good music, good artwork, the gift of sex between a husband and wife. I mean, just countless things that we could say are these good gifts from God that are meant to give us joy, Amen. The book of James says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. He, he gives these good gifts. He talks about how he's given us all things for our enjoyment. But the problem is when we take those good gifts and we derive our joy from them instead of letting that joy slingshot us into worship of Jesus and finding our ultimate joy in Jesus. Do you, you track with what I'm talking about? The Bible calls that idolatry. Hey, it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing, right? These, these things are good things. There's absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever with a, a delicious meal or with hiking and enjoying nature. But the problem is, is we take those things, we turn them into ultimate things. So instead of saying, God, thank you for this delicious meal. God, thank you for this beautiful hike. We just, we just take it and it becomes our own. And you know, how we, you know how we know that it's become an ultimate thing for us? When it's taken away and we freak out a little bit. I had an experience this week uh, myself where um, something that I derive pleasure from, something that I derive joy from in my life, it didn't work out the way I wanted it. I, I missed out on this opportunity and I lost my temper in a really significant way. And talking about it th that night and the next day with my wife and praying about it, and I was like, you know what? And it was, I mean, it was just about as painfully obvious as it could be as I was preparing for this sermon this week. I'm like, Holy Spirit convicted me in a pretty powerful way. I was seeking ultimate joy in this thing instead of finding my ultimate joy in Christ. What is it that if, if it was taken away from you, you would just, oh, you'd freak out. If it was taken from you, if you no longer had access to that, if you no longer could enjoy that, would you still have ultimate joy in Christ or would you find that there's an idol there? Would you be willing to repent of that idol, to give it to Jesus and repent for seeking your ultimate satisfaction in a created thing instead of him? Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. He is the source of our joy. Every good thing that we enjoy comes from him ultimately, right? We look back on his first advent, the, the coming 
of our Savior to live and die and rise again. We look forward to his, his future return. We, right now in the present, we know that we can experience grief, but we can experience it with purpose. That gives us joy. That's a lasting joy, Sound City. That's a lot better than me getting up here and telling really bad dad jokes for 35 minutes, right? That's what you need. That's what your heart truly needs. And my prayer is that we would find that satisfaction in Jesus. Let me just pray for a moment here. I invite you to, to close your eyes if you would. God, right now, um, God, we're, we're speaking on the subject of joy, but I know it feels heavy in this room right now. And God, I don't know every person and I don't know every situation in this room, but Jesus, you do. And there are many trials, many grievous trials happening even right now. And so I am asking and I am praying, Lord God, for those who belong to you, would you reassure them of your love for them? Would you reassure them of your sovereignty in all things? Would you reassure them of your goodness? Would you reassure them of the certainty of Jesus' resurrection? Would you reassure them of the certainty of Jesus' future return? And God, would you fill us with your joy, real joy, not thin, happy, clappy, just uh, try to put on a good face, but real joy that bubbles up out of our hearts, a joy that comes from knowing we belong to you. Pray all of this in Jesus' good name, amen. Church, we're gonna respond now. We're gonna respond the, the first way is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, I wanna encourage you to give. I wanna encourage you to give joyfully. We read this scripture many weeks, but 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each, each one must give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, what kind of giver, Sound City Bible Church? A cheerful giver. That cheerful, it's related to happiness, it's related to joy. So as you give, let that be an expression of your worship. If you want to give in service here, you can do that. If you want to give online, uh, that might be even better. Uh, if you need any of your questions answered about how to give at Sound City Bible Church, we'd love to help you with that. But the point is not to give to us, the church, where the point is for you to worship God with the finances that he's entrusted to you. Amen? While they are collecting the offering, let me read some discussion questions and things for us this week to talk about and to pray about. Um, also, if you're interested in the link to that song that I played a minute ago, I'll put it up on the website under the sermon page. And I just found out that that band is performing in Shoreline next weekend. So kind of a cool opportunity. I think it's down at Berean Bible Church. So it's, uh, it's a free show. Kids welcome, all of that. So I'll try to put that information up on the website if I remember. Okay, discussion questions. Do you see God as being full of joy? If not, why might that be? And if so, what has helped you? Number two, let's talk about our idols. Where are you tempted to pursue ultimate joy outside of Jesus? And how might your pursuit of joy go wrong and go into sin? And how can those in your community, those you're in relationship with, how can they help you pursue joy in Jesus? Number three, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. When it comes to experiencing that paradox of joy and grief, uh, which side might you be tempted to avoid or, or miss out on, right? Do you more, are you more Eeyore or are you more the guy from the Lego movie? And why? And then number four, how has God used trials and hardships in your life to turn you into the person that you are today and share those experiences with others in your community? And then pray. Pray that we would not be people who simply seek to avoid sadness, diversion, amusement, technology, but that we would experience the depths of God's joy no matter the circumstances. And then here's a prayer project. Do a Bible search for words related to joy, cheerful, laughter, all those sorts of words, and pray those passages of Scripture directly back to God. That's such a beautiful way of, of shaping your heart towards joy by, by taking the words that he himself has written and giving them back to him. We're also going to celebrate the Lord's table. This is for Christians. If you are a believer, even if you're a guest or visitor, you're welcome to join us. Take one of the elements and just hold on to it for a minute. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians 11 to prepare our hearts for what we're doing. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he says he took bread. And when he had given thanks, that's a thankful heart. That's a worshipful heart. That's a joyful heart. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And then as always, there's an invitation to examine ourselves. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I just want to remind you, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner doesn't mean that you come here today with sin. Every single one of us comes here today with sin. But, but an unworthy manner is unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin, an unexamined heart. So this is an opportunity for you to examine your heart, to pray before the Lord. God, here's here's what I believe you're wanting me to repent of and to give to you. And then friends, rejoice. (laughs) Like I mean it for reals, like rejoice. Like real live rejoicing. Had a beautifully tender, kind of heartbreaking moment with one of my daughters last night. She had done something rather wrong to one of her sisters and she was overcome with just genuine, broken-hearted sorrow and she's weeping. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I sinned and I'm bad. And I was like, well, you got half the story right. But I said, you are loved and you are forgiven. She's like, I don't know. I'm like, no, you really are. Like, You know, we talk about repentance, we talk about sin, but if we don't go to the forgiveness and rejoicing part, we're not accepting the full offer of what God's grace entails. Amen? So weep over your sin. Do it. And then stand to your feet and rejoice because that sin was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to close our time here with a a group prayer. Um, It's a little old-fashioned. Okay, it's a lot old-fashioned. It said ditzed in it. But this is a Puritan prayer. It's from a book called The Valley of Vision. It's an excerpt from a prayer. And so I'm going to invite you to do your best to read this along with me. This is a beautiful prayer, several hundred years old, from Christian brothers and sisters in the past that talk about the way that we can experience Christ's joy in the midst of the sorrow. We'll read this together. I'll pray. And then you can take communion and stand to your feet and sing along with, with the band as they lead us. Let me, let me read this out. Ready? O Christ, all thy ways of mercy tend to and end in my delight. Thou did weep, sorrow, suffer, that I might rejoice. For my joy, thou hast sent the comforter, multiplied thy promises, shown me my future happiness, given me a living fountain. Thou art preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy, Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. And to that prayer, Lord Jesus, we say yes and amen. I pray now, God, as we enter into a time of celebrating the Lord's table and a time of singing together, that you would meet us wherever we're at. Maybe some are here on the mountaintop and they're ready to lead us in rejoicing. God, some are in a valley right now experiencing hardships. Wherever we are, would you meet us by your Holy Spirit, cause our hearts to be focused in on Jesus that we might rejoice. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of our Savior. Amen.